tells us that some people honor a day, whether it be Saturday or Sunday, and some people walk and live in fellowship with the Lord daily. So the option is every day or one day. And then the day choice comes down to your ethnicity and your, whether you're a believing Jew or whether you are a Gentile. Okay, so uh, God likes both days, and I think he prefers all days if we really were going to get into it. Uh, that's another question. How do we live out of rest and abiding? But, but there's many, many answers, but I hope that that helps. I think the idea, I think some people are looking uh, for a... Uh, I think people are looking for, for an answer without understanding that believing Jews were given permission and the right, according to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, to worship and to stay connected to Judaism as fulfilled Jews, even as Gentiles were forbidden for doing the same because they were to go back and to worship as Jews was seen to be putting themselves under the law instead of grace. So I can go and worship, and, and I do uh, have a Messianic congregation where I preach several times a year, but I could not be looking for an identity or to do it better uh, by going to a Messianic congregation because I'm a Gentile. And then if I were looking to be better, then that would say I'm looking for my identity uh, within Messianic Judaism, which is fine if you're a Jew. It's not fine if you are a Gentile. And the problem we might have, as my friend, Messianic Jewish rabbi uh, out in Seattle, is we taught there's a lot of Gentile wannabes. And so it's, while it's perfectly good for Jewish believers, Philip, of course, is from this region. I mean, I say, of course. I don't know that I would have known that and put it all together. Uh, but this is, in a sense, this is where Philip grew up. And so Philip knows the area, and he knows the restaurants, he knows the fast food, he knows where the ATMs are, he knows everything about the area. So he's asking Philip, and yet at the same time it says, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, I don't have time to go back completely in John chapter 5, but I would suggest to you that Jesus has just said a number of things in John chapter 5, but one of them is, he says, the Son can do nothing except what the Father is doing. Meaning the Father is showing what to do. So part of the reason that Jesus knew what he was going to do is he saw the Father. He was living in intimacy with the Father so that when he saw the crowd, he didn't just have compassion. He had compassion and he saw the Father feeding him. And so he knew what he was going to do. All right? And so this is really important because the way Jesus knew what he was going to do is because he stayed in intimate connection with the Father. And so he's asking Philip, and Philip, the test of Philip is, is Philip going to look to the resources and to the area and to the restaurants, and of course I'm kidding, you know, is he going to look to what he knows, or is he going to realize that the whole secret to this thing is not looking at what we know, but looking to God who knows more than what we know. This is the test. Sometimes we get into trouble because we're looking and we know just a little bit too much. And our imagination isn't big enough for the uh, opportunities that God may take at any particular moment to move and to heal and to restore and to save. It, it's, it, there's an incalculable number of ways that God may do what God wants to do. The question for us is to determine if Jesus couldn't do anything but what the Father's showing him to do, surely we can't do anything. And we've been looking in John 15, you know, without me you can bear no fruit. Without me you can do nothing. We're not abiding in him. 
So Philip, having spent this time, and now he's a year or two into it, uh, Philip should be asking the question, since Jesus is saying, I know what to do because of the Father, Philip should have been asking the question, I wonder what the Father's going to do. The test was, would Philip lead on his own understanding? He was a wise guy, he knew the area. Is he going to lean on what he knows, which would seem in the natural to have really important that, that he would know, but the reality is, the test was for Philip to be reflecting on what Jesus just preached and told him that the way Jesus knows what to do is he's watching what the Father's doing. That's the secret. That was the test. And Philip, because he knew too much, didn't know enough. See, he knew too much to, to realize he doesn't know what the Father's going to do. So Philip says and answers the question based upon resources and the availability of, uh, of food. He says, we don't have enough money. Uh, he looks around and says, we don't have enough money, and, and we don't have any place to get it anyway. So look what he says. So Jesus knew what he was going to do because he saw the Father. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may have a little. It, now listen, I'm the kind of person where if I'm going to have ice cream, I don't want a, a, a taste of your ice cream. You know, do you want to share dessert with me? No, I don't. Laquisha knows. Laquisha's family, she knows. I'm, I, I don't, I tell you, I share my money, but not my food. All right? No, I don't want to share a little bit of that or a little bit of this. No, no I want mine, and I'll buy you yours if needed. I mean, nothing would be more annoying. I mean, I, I hate these tapas. Not tapas, which we don't like those either, but tapas at the Portuguese restaurants where you get these little small portions. And I say to Susie, why would I want a bunch of little plates of things? Once I find what I want, I want a whole lot of that. I want a big plate of what I like, not a bunch of little plates of things that I may or may not like. To me, that's a very inefficient way of eating. And the other thing is the idea of having these little plates is that everyone's going to share and have a little, which again is against my flow of how I live, because I don't want a little, I want a lot of what I like, not a little, but a bunch of things I don't care that much about. So can you imagine? I mean, think about it. If we had a, a year's worth of, of wages, we had 35 grand. We couldn't even buy everyone a, 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 a little bit so they could get a taste of an appetizer. There's just too many people. That, to me, sounds like horrific possibility right there. I mean, how horrible. Because basically what he's saying, we don't have the money anyway, but even if we did, we wouldn't have enough. If we had, I mean, if we had way more money than we could imagine, it still wouldn't be enough to do what we need to do. So, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them, maybe it's a month's wages, but the point is, way more money than they had, everybody wouldn't have enough. Plus, there was no food truck or anything else that was going to get them the food even then. Now, one of the disciples, Andrew's brother, now we're St. Andrew's, what is Andrew known for? He, first thing he does when he realizes who Jesus is, he goes and gets his brother. Andrew's known for, he was the first disciple who was called so he was number one. He was disciple numero uno. That's my Spanish for tonight. I'm feeling multicultural. Pepe's here. There we go. All right, there you go. Numero uno. Then he was also the one that when he realized who Jesus was, he couldn't resist. The first thing he wanted to do was make sure his brother knew. <coughs> now his brother was much more dominant, was a much more larger than life person. Andrew knew that. But he wasn't jealous or competitive. He wouldn't think, well, if, if Peter gets there, he's going to steal the show. No, the only thing Andrew cared about was that the ones he loved knew Jesus and, 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 and knew him like he did. So Andrew, though, gets here, 
And, and we see the peer pressure thing going on, but, but Andrew has a, a, a glimpse of, uh, of genius here. And, and then he goes and says this, um, one disciple's verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. You see, of course, that's even smaller than what, what uh, Philip was just describing. It's this tiny little snack that's not going to be enough for two people or even for the boy, let alone for everybody else. But for a moment, Andrew was caught up in the revelation of what the father was doing, and so he almost got it. See, he, st- he, thought, he talked himself out of what the Spirit was teaching him and showing him. Because Jesus, in fact, had seen the father with the boy's food, blessing it and multiplying and having enough, and then more than enough. And so for a moment, until he thought he was foolish thinking logically... And it's not that logical to think that the God of the universe can't do what the God of the universe wants to do, including multiplying loaves and fishes. But he says, there's a boy here with, with uh, I always mix up the loaves and fishes. Well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves, and that was the crummiest of the barley loaves. Uh, barley is the crummiest of the grains, so it's the cheapest, poorest kind of grain for a loaf, and two small fish, little sardines. And then he goes, ah, yeah, but what are they amongst so many? Forget it. After further consideration, and that's the problem. He considered the five loaves and the two fish, and he stopped considering what God was doing. The question is, what was the Father doing? Jesus knew what he would do because he saw, because of intimacy with the Father, he saw what the Father was doing. The Father was fixing to prepare a feast for the 5,000 people. And the father was using five barley loaves and two fish. Now, I make a lot of mistakes, and I think a lot and way too much. But I have had a few times where I was praying, and I could see what the father was doing. I mean, it's really wonderful. I, I was in this church. Uh, we used to, we started for a while back in the early 2000s, we had our healing service, and it was a healing service on Wednesday nights. It was before it was on Thursday nights. And uh, I was praying along this line, same of these chairs, uh, maybe not this, in the same, you know, they've been mixed around through the years, so I don't know if they say it. But I was about getting about into here, and as I was praying for somebody, I saw a girl, two people down, knew the girl, and I saw Jesus... Uh, I saw him blow, and I also saw him put his hand on her stomach and said, He that believes in me never hunger thirst, but from their uh, belly will come forth rivers of life. And I saw him say, Come forth. And in my mind, I saw her. So I'm seeing this. I never saw anything like that before. Never saw Benny him blowing people. I didn't even know people ever did that. I didn't even really remember it was in the Bible. And I go down, and I do that, and it's just as I did just what I saw. The moment I put my hand on her, before I could get out the whole scripture, if I had thought about it for longer, I would have said, that's ridiculous. I never saw anyone pray like that. I've never been in any Pentecostal meetings, never completely foreign to me. Philip passed the test because he knew too much, so he thought he knew. The problem is, when you're dealing with the infinite God, 
the resources and possibility that you can think of are nothing compared to what God may do at any given moment in time. The test was, and the way Jesus knew what to do, was because he was paying attention. He was taking his cues from the one who had created the universe through his voice. And because of he saw what the Father was going to do, he knew what he was going to do. He invited Philip into it, and Philip could not get beyond all that he knew. Andrew got a glimpse, and then he talked himself out of it. I, I wonder what God may be waiting to do in your life. If you were to ask, if you were to forget what you know, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed and said, God, you either got to do this, you got to do this, or you got to do this. And then God did something completely different that I could have never imagined. But in my mind, there was like only three options. I, and I kind of told him that. You got these three options, which one are you going to do? And then, as I'm praying, and those three options don't happen, I think, oh, he doesn't care. Instead, he answered it, but he answered in a way I just never could have imagined that was better, more unique, more interesting. Tonight, what I sense is that you're locking in God to those things of which you've seen before, the things that you consider possible, and because you know a lot about what's going on, you think you know a lot. And, and the truth is, I'm not insulted. I'm sure you know a lot. Maybe you're here and you're sick and you're a doctor. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe, maybe you know a lot. Maybe you've got expertise in whatever the area is. But your expertise compared to what God can do is absolutely nothing in the big picture when we compare it to God. And that's not to take anything away from the fact that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you're beautiful, you're smart, all those wonderful things that are true. It's not to diminish who you are, just to put in comparison. Like we, if we lined up a, a, a light bulb compared to the sun. We're not saying the light bulb's dim, it's just the sun's a whole lot brighter. And so tonight, what I want to encourage you is to be thinking about tonight. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's, who knows what it is. And maybe you've been limiting God to those possibilities of your circumstance. And because you're a thoughtful, intelligent, logical person, you've sort of imagined various scenarios. And I want to suggest that your imagination is too small. Philip knew a lot. And it got in the way of the beauty of not knowing anything and seeing what God's doing. Part of abiding is taking a position of surrender and seeing what God's going to do. So about a week ago, I got a call. I, heard, I was sitting and praying with somebody last week, and the call came for me from a rehab center here in Gainesville. And it was, you know, the ringer's turned off, but the message is on. So I'm trying to pray with somebody, and we're hearing the message, and a person says, this is somebody from social services. We're looking for an Episcopal priest, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and then the thing goes off, and we continue praying. I had a sense the Lord was saying to me, I need to go do that. Uh, but I'm thinking, where's Don when you need him? Uh, Don's out on a high-five and, you know, trip to all of his friends of the world, apparently, on his birthday trip. Uh, like, he's like an Olympian for turning 69, apparently. Uh, according to Facebook. In any case, I thought to myself, I think I'm supposed to do that, but, uh, but I, I was having problems with my stomach. I had to go to the doctor, blah, 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 blah. You're not supposed to visit if you're having stomach problems. You know, okay, okay, all this to say. So finally, today comes to be the day where I, I called. Someone sent me an email reminding that maybe the lady called back. I don't know, but I got an email message, and I, I realized, yeah, I'm going to go do that, uh, blah, blah, blah. So today was the day. And I'm getting ready to go, and I'm ready to leave about 11.45 to go over there. And the Lord said to me, 
don't go until one. This is a rehab place. The guy ain't going anywhere. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he's in a bed. He's not moving. He's not, he's not going anywhere. But I got up to go then about 12, 15. The Lord said, don't go until one. I'm like, okay, don't go to the one. Uh, I'll sit here, twiddle my thumbs. I'm all dressed. Um, so I go there. I meet with the guy. Have a really nice meeting with a guy who's not doing well. Uh, you know, I don't know, hour maybe, take about an hour. I get done, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm walking out. First, I got lost on the way out because it, to me, you know, if you don't know the place, it all looks the same. So uh, somehow the lady walked me in there, but I'm thinking, Finally, the nurse says, you look lost. And I said, well, I am. I've been found, but yes, I'm lost here. <laughs> uh, and, and so uh, they helped me get out, kind of talked down to me a little bit. They were nice, and you know, but I think they thought I'd find the priest was lost. But anyway, so I get out, and just as I get outside of the door, there's an Afro-American man standing there who was very distinguished, and come to find out he was 82. But he said, uh, he said, how are you doing, Father? I said, how are you doing, sir? God bless you. He said, God bless you. And, and I turned to go, and he goes, hey, he says, can you give me a ride to North Florida? He said, I'm waiting for the cart to come by and get me. And I'm thinking, the cart doesn't come way down here. <laughs> the, the parking garage is up there. You know. But anyway, uh, I said, yeah, uh, North Florida, sure, come on. So I was afraid he couldn't walk all the way down to my car, but ends up, he was fine. And for kind of funny, he was a pastor. He had been an AME pastor, which uh, in the old days, the AME was almost identical to our service uh, that we do. The old 28 prayer book was basically identical uh, and, and so we had a lot in common, and then he said, well, I, I became Baptist, he said, but I'm still AME, but he said, I had to come Baptist to pastor this church I got in Trenton, and blah, 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 and we had this wonderful conversation, uh, and then I, the Lord said to me, ask him if he's eaten. I said, now, this is the sad thing, because I was killing time, I stopped off at Taco Bell. <laughs> I mean, he told me, don't go there till one. So I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? Well, I'm Taco Bell's on the way, uh, kind of. Well, not really, but I did a little loop. And, uh, I mean, I got there just about 1 o'clock, too, by the way, after going through the drive-thru. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm there, and, and I said, uh, hey, have you eaten lunch? He said, no, I haven't eaten lunch. And I'd, I had a feeling he's got kids. I have a feeling his wife is no longer here. I didn't end up. We spent about an hour and a half together, but, but uh, I didn't ask about that. But uh, in any case... Come to find out, he had not eaten lunch. And I said, well, do you have a place you like? Oh, I like the Ocean Buffet. So I said, well, in my mind, I'm thinking a whole lot of food, none of which I like. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, I'd already eaten lunch. So I went, and we talked about the Lord and had the most delightful conversation. There must have been a glow about our table because people kept coming by. Said, I've been over here. And he was not talking real loud, and he was doing the talking. And it was profound. I felt like he was prophesying and didn't even know it, the things he was saying to me. It was such a, a heavenly day uh, with this guy. And, uh, uh, but people kept coming by the table. Oh, I've been hearing what you said about faith. I've been hearing, you know what I mean? It was, it was great. I mean, it was just like, it was this incredible. And I, the joy that I took in knowing that the Lord had set up this visit and the timing of the visit, that he wanted me to go to one to make sure, because this guy didn't have a ride. And then I had to carry him across. I had to. I got the honor. Because once I realized it was on the Father's agenda, there was nothing more important in my day than to take him to lunch and to take him where he wanted to. He only asked me to take him to North Florida. But I started realizing he's the reason the Lord said to me, come at one, because I was supposed to meet this guy. I could have met the other guy day or night. You know, he's going to be there. But the Lord had me go in and come out to meet this guy. 
and uh, it was so, I wanted to cry. And, and he was so full of the Lord. And uh, so we had this great conversation, great time. Um, and I drop him off and I think, Lord, that's the way we want to live. That's the way we can uh, take loaves and fishes and do something that no one ever saw before. Is if we forget what we know, listen to the leading of the Lord, and take his directions, and then he opens up these wonderful opportunities. Now, I could have been thinking, oh, I'm wasting time. I knew I wasn't wasting time taking the lunch. First, I knew the reason the Lord told me that time was that this pastor was on God's agenda. Number one. Number two, so number two I, would, I would have taken him wherever he told me to take him. L- uh, you know, luckily, it was only halfway across town. It could have been a lot of, you know, uh, he lived way out in the country, but I, I would have taken him. Uh, so that then, the Lord told me, ask him if he's eaten. I knew. Now listen, I got an account uh, in the church. I could have bought him lunch with my account. I, I bought it from my account. I thought, if I ever knew that the Lord told me to do something, I want the bl- I'm sowing into this day. Uh, you know, we have, we have money God gives us to sow that reaps back for us, and there's others that we use. And uh, I knew... I hate to say it, I spent about as much money on the uh, Taco Bell trip than he did on his lunch. But nonetheless, so it wasn't a lot of money, but nonetheless, what a wonderful thing to be walking with the living God, to orient ourselves. I don't know, God, why he was so kind and so clear to me because I got up after hearing him say once, don't go to one, I got up to leave again. I don't know if I was getting antsy, which is why I had, well, I'll just go to Taco Bell. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so uh, you know, how does that work? But, but, but what a wonderful day to know that I'm doing what the Lord told me to do. I would have never imagined. I could have easily thought I'm wasting my time. I might have been dreading it if I hadn't been listening to the Lord and praying this morning. I heard the Lord. And then, and then when I met him, I, I realized what the Lord was doing. And, and, and then I heard him say, taking a lunch. And I, I knew because... I was ordering this day, particularly because it's Lent, particularly because I'm focused on Andrew Murray, I'm focusing on John 15, I'm focused on listening more carefully than normal. It could easily have missed me. I mean, I could have even bumped into him and said yes, and then not, I, I was full of joy doing it because I knew God had arranged this for me to be a blessing to this guy. Andrew almost got it. He almost was attuned to what the Spirit of God was doing and the Father was revealing. But he talked himself out of it. I can't tell you how many times I've talked myself out of something tremendous and wonderful. I was in India. We've told you about, uh, uh, in a psalm, about these people who had polio that got up and, and, and the miracle of that. And some of you have heard. But you know, after three days, on the third day, when I saw them bring about 50 polio people in the front I thought to myself, now I think it was a demon, I hope, but the thought that came to my mind was, what a faith killer to have these people that are so hurting. I mean, I felt compassion. But after seeing Jesus do that miracle for two days, I still never imagined he was going to do it on the next. It still seemed to me too big of a miracle. I've taught myself out of some things. Now luckily, Philip failed the test. Andrew did better but failed the test. But they still got to see the miracle of the loaves and fishes. How wonderful that is. Uh, 
but I wonder what's holding you back. Maybe you know too much to know that you know too little into what God may do in any given situation or point in time. Maybe you're beginning to hear and then you're talking yourself out of it and you've got to focus on Jesus and not let the circumstance as dire or difficult or impossible as it may be without God. But the whole point is that's without God. With God, everything's possible. And so tonight, the invitation is for you to make the deliberate, conscious decision to orient your thoughts based upon what God is saying and doing and seeking that out until you find out. Not that you can just find it any second, but that you're seeking that out and you're orienting your life in that way. Then you begin to walk into a day like today where you just, all these little silly things become these great blessings because you're walking in the Spirit and enjoying it because you can't miss it. But it takes a deliberate decision, okay, to be, to be led by Him. It takes a deli deliberate decision uh, to listen then and then to obey what He says. You know, I didn't get to it on Sunday, but the, the third thing the Bible says about obeying is if you abide in me and obey what I say, my words. That's about verse 16. It says you've got to obey me. All right? Listen, we can obey him when we obey him and make a choice of the will to obey him and we, uh, we don't do what's wrong and we do what's right. When we do that, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to change our hearts so that it's not so hard. Meaning he transforms the inner parts of us so that we're not just white knuckling it. When we're orienting ourselves and staying in dependent relationship with Jesus, listening to him and then obeying him, the Spirit of God begins to transform us. Not only to make fruitful what we do in obedience, which is part of it. I mean, it was a fruitful day. People couldn't, people kept bothering us at our table because they just kept hearing what the Holy Spirit was doing in that conversation. It was fruitful. Uh, it was exceeding of expectations. And it encouraged my heart to be more open to listen and to be careful in obedience for tomorrow and the next day. I wonder what's got you hung up. And where God's trying to say, forget what you know. Not that you don't know things. You do. Not that they're not true. Not that they're not important. But maybe like Philip, it's getting in the way. Maybe God wants to show you that he knows more about feeding 5,000 people than any caterer that ever lived. He knows more and can do more. So tonight as we pray with you and as you pray and seek the Lord, ask him for the grace to be empty. That's what Lent's all about, the grace to be empty, that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we love you and we pray tonight. Lord, we, we've all talked ourselves out of things that we were getting a glimpse of. Uh, and we did not account properly for God. And we thought we'd be foolish or ridiculous to believe when you were trying to, to help us to see what you were getting ready to do. And maybe like Philip, we were thinking about all the finances and the details and logistics. And, and those things are important. But when the Spirit of God's at work and play and when the Father's showing us what to do, all that goes out the window. Because you know how to account for everything. So, Lord Jesus, we have some circumstances and situations, physically, emotionally, spiritually, family. Uh, Lord, help us to fix our hearts and minds on you, to be rooted in you, to understand our great need, 
to abide, letting your words and your truth abide, and then obeying what you say. Lord, we want to be fruitful, and you are thrilled when we're fruitful. So Lord, help us, strengthen us, and we ask it in Jesus' holy and precious name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.